Friends, we have so much to learn today from Dr. Carly Fedorka, professor of equine reproduction, industry advocate, student of the horse, and so much more. Let's learn why Dr. Fedorka wants us to just keep swimming. So grab your journals and let's grow, girl. Greetings, friends. Are you feeling frustrated or stuck in the student to professional transition? Looking for early career growth or dreaming of the next step in your journey to greatness? I'm Jody Lynch Findlay, your thriving equine professional, podcaster, speaker, and coach. Inside this podcast, you will gain clarity through tactical advice to better understand yourself and others. You will build confidence to boldly pursue your dreams on purpose. And you will grow your community, uncovering tools to cultivate an intentional community supporting your journey. So let's dig in. If you are ready to thrive, get the ponies fed, fill those water buckets, grab your journal, and let's grow, girl. I'm here to help you thrive, to live inspired, fulfilled, and empowered. Welcome back, thriving equine professionals. We are here today with a favorite of mine, Dr. Carly Fedorka. Carly, I think that I am going to title this uh, based on some of your, what I will call advice for our listeners, and that is just keep swimming. So I am thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for popping off of a horse to spend <laughs> a little time with us today. And I know that you are set there at your home farm in Lexington, Kentucky for now. But I wanted to share your story most of all because of the trajectory of your career. So you and I met, it's been more than 10 years ago now, really. And I believe we have some great similarities and probably the first word that comes to my mind is passion and the other would be enthusiasm. And then other than that, we've had very different careers where I've been very industry focused and you've been very academically focused. So I was really excited for you to talk through to our students and young professionals, especially really what that journey has looked like for you. And I am so excited for you to be at a point where you are about to make a huge career change yet again, the next step in your journey as you head from Kentucky to Colorado to become an associate professor in equine reproduction. So really excited. I think there's a lot to dive into today. I would love for you to start out by telling us a little bit more about who Dr. Carly Fedorka is. And maybe we start with your journey from Ohio to Kentucky, and we'll move through some of your just keep swimming story before we get on to where you're headed to Colorado next. So Carly, welcome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I think when we were chatting a little bit of what we can teach this next generation into this madness that is agriculture, especially as a young female, my story is probably a little bit different than most because if I can look in hindsight, none of the trajectory was linear in any way, shape or form. I grew up in a super, super small town in Northwestern Pennsylvania called Meadville. And my mom was horsey and that she grew up doing the hunters, but my dad was kind of the anti-equine. He really, really, really hated the horses and really, really, really hated the amount of money that went into the horses. So it was constantly this duality of my mom buying ponies, my dad trying to get rid of them, my mom buying us saddles, my dad not looking at his credit card statements. And that was kind of my entire childhood but because of that, my family was very education oriented. My dad was a surgeon. My mom got her psychology degree and then was a stay at home mom to us three. But my entire family is doctors and lawyers. And so growing up as a horse crazy kid, my dad was like, cool, well, then you have one option. You're going to be a veterinarian. 
And I thought I was. From the age of probably seven on, I actually had a really, really, really amazing mentor all through even elementary school. My mom and I were just talking about this where I had a vet that I met when I was about seven years old because my pony had a massive laceration. And my parents said to her, you know, our child wants to be a veterinarian just like you. And Dr. Kelly Rupno, who's now Dr. Kelly Johnson, was like, send her on the road with me. So from the age of seven, eight, nine years old, I was riding with this large animal veterinarian in middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And that was kind of the tra trajectory. Like that was the path. It was, you get good grades, you go to college, you major in something science based, and then you're going to go to vet school. Now, even that part, this could be a five million hour long story, but even that part didn't go smoothly. I went to college up near Boston, Massachusetts for one semester and hated it. And my parents said, cool, if you're going to transfer, you're going to transfer to the college we went to. So I didn't have much decision making and even that. And I ended up at St. Lawrence University, which is a small liberal arts school in upstate New York. And my dad said, you're going to major in biology. And so I did. And by about my sophomore or junior year, I realized that I really hate science, which is funny because now I'm a scientist. And I really, really, really loved writing. I loved English. I loved literature. I loved telling stories. And so while I did not do great in my science classes, I did really well in my English classes. And I actually graduated with a double major degree in both biology and English. And I applied to vet school and I was rejected by just about every vet school in this country. I think the first year I applied like 24 schools. Wow. Good GPA, like it wasn't bad. I think I graduated like a three, four. So I, you know, graduated cum laude and had a lot of animal experience and had ridden with vets and worked with vets. Yes. But it didn't pan out. Like I just, one rejection letter after the next came into my, mailbox because back then it wasn't emailed it was all actual <laughs> letters and at the age of 22 I just kind of had to go well crap like that was the only plan the only yes. way I was gonna work in agriculture with these animals that I loved was by being a veterinarian so what do I do now I actually only ended up in Lexington Kentucky by chance I was dating my college boyfriend and he was offered a job at UK, at the University of Kentucky, and a job at Harvard. And I convinced him to take the job at UK because I knew that Kentucky meant horses. So I yes. moved here with him, got residency, dumped him, and I've been here ever since. But yeah, so that was the first kind of deal breaker of age of 22. For the last 15 years, I've been told it's DVM or nothing. And quickly it became, oh crap, it's it's nothing. It's nothing. I don't know what I do now. Yeah, and Carly, that probably is one of my favorite stories I love to have you tell because I think that today it is so much more important and we have a population of students about to make transitions into professional careers. They have an interest in vet school. It is not uncommon to be rejected. Whether you want to go to vet school or ultimately, we'll talk more about the life that you have built that is perfectly Dr. Carly Fedorka, and it is not as a DVM, but you will fail. We will all fail. We will yes. get told no. So that's your, again, it's just keep swimming. And so yes. it's a changing of lanes. Now, I did not know that you had that much passion then about with writing, when I think about who Carly is to me, I think you were a blogger before blogging was cool. Yes, and 100%. And I always tell people that's why I, I like the idea of looking. I'm only 37 now. So again, hindsight will come even crazier when I'm 85. But the hindsight of my story all coming together starts to make so much more sense because that writing degree that I got kind of by accident. It really was like, wow, biochem is kicking my ass, dad. I need a 4.0 and I need an easy 4.0. And for me, writing was that really easy 4.0. And I always have to be very careful that I'm like writing because now whenever I say writing, people writing. think I'm saying writing. And I'm writing. like, no, writing horses also came easy. 
writing the English language. And it really was kind of nice that I had gone to this small liberal arts school that had such a huge English program that really refined that skill. And that as a side hustle has not only been a side hustle. So I had a very popular blog. I think it's really, really helped my farm in how I can market and advertise horses. But then on top of that, now that I am doing science full-time, the writing of manuscripts and my dissertation and grants and all of these things is so easy to me. And like to the point where it infuriates other people in my field because they're like, how do you just churn these manuscripts out? And it's like, well, while all of you guys were taking classes on equine anatomy, I was taking classes on writing. (laughs) And so getting those skill sets that you don't even realize you're going to need until later in life and not getting so pigeonholed into, I want to work with horses, therefore I'm only going to go to college for horses. No, go get some business classes, go get some marketing classes, take a writing class, like use these things that other professionals struggle with and get some education in that. And that, that degree probably has been more beneficial to me than my actual biology degree. Wow. Yeah, I think tremendous advice there because I call it versatility, right? Our ability to be versatile is an advantage. And so when it comes to seeking roles, when it comes to growing your community and professional development and job opportunities, that versatility means so much. The day I believe that the day that we leave school, our GPA does not matter ever again. But no, but our, honestly, the college you went to also is not that significant. Yes, <laughs> I agree. But the versatility that you have in your experiences and your network and your community, that's what really sends us on the journey and to your point, the the trajectory of whatever our story is supposed to be. Yeah, so, for sure. Swimming on. Yeah, swimming yeah. on. So I moved here. I dumped the boyfriend. And I always tell people that probably the best thing to ever happen in my career was the recession that happened in 2008, because my generation, the people that graduated college between 2007 and 2010, we were humbled real quick. It did not matter if you were coming out with a half million dollar in debt or a 4-0 or whatever, there were no jobs. There just weren't. So the majority of my friends in college moved back home and moved back into their high school bedrooms and lived off of mom and dad for a little bit. I didn't have that opportunity. My dad passed away a couple of months after graduation. And so it was sink or swim time. And I hustled. I got a job selling Ariots and Lucchese's at the boot store in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I worked as a small animal vet tech right on Southland Avenue. And finally, I found myself employed as a groom at Chesapeake Farm here in Lexington, which is a probably medium-sized boutique operation uh, for thoroughbred breeding. Now, to make it even more confusing, I had never bred a horse. I had never been to a racetrack. I owned a thoroughbred as a child, but could not have told you his pedigree. And so it very much so was, I need a job that pays for me to live, and I don't care what it's doing. So I made $8 an hour cleaning stalls, holding tails, leading mares and foals in and out of the stall, And I was really, really, really lucky that the owner of the farm, Drew Nardiello, and the veterinarian on the farm, Jorge Colon, were like, wow, this 22-year-old kid really seems to A, be intelligent, but also B, has a good work ethic, and C, is reliable. She's here. If we tell her to be here at 7, she's here at 6.30. If we ask her to stay late and help with vet work or to full a mare, she says yes. She can drive a tractor. She can drive a horse trailer. So they really kind of threw the gauntlet at me and just said, let's see what you can do. And because I was a yes person and because I had a good work ethic, within about six months, I was the assistant manager. I was running all of their social media, again, because of my writing background. I prepped all their yearlings that year. And it just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger because the owner and the veterinarian were like, oh, this this is a good kid. Like we really, she shows up every day. She hasn't taken a sick day. 
She says, yes, I was not bashful about the $8 an hour. I literally was like, cool, I can steal the internet from Panera. And I will, I lived in one of the worst apartments you could ever see in your entire life to the point <laughs> that my now husband was only my friend. And when he came to move me out, he was like, we're taking everything now. I had no clue you lived here. We're not coming <laughs> back, but I, I survived and I have stories to tell, but that job really gave me this beautiful setup to then get hired at another farm in Paris, Kentucky as first their yearling manager and then eventually their assistant manager and sales director, which was Hinkle Farms located right down the road. So at 24, I was promoted pretty highly up the ranks within the thoroughbred breeding industry. Which uh, is a little bit unusual for uh, yeah. in mul for multiple reasons, not the least of which is being a female and being that young. And yeah. so I, I don't want that to be lost on our audience either. You, Carly, mention a word gumption often. Yeah. And so oftentimes what I do, I go through things like clarity, confidence, community. I love to look up the, the actual dictionary definition of words. And so that one was a favorite of mine because I hear you say it. And so the definition of gumption is that it is a shrewd or spirited initiative and resourcefulness. And so yeah. <laughs> I just spirited initiative and resourcefulness. I'm like, that is Dr. Carly Fedorka. I loved that so much. So I think that that's really representative of your gumption. And that's, that's such a good point to bring up because we talk in the university setting a lot about like diversity and inclusion and equity and all of these things. And, and that was really hard for me. You know, I'm, I'm a Yankee. I'm from up North. So to come down here to the South and work surrounded by only men. There was only men at Chesapeake at first. They eventually hired another female farm manager. And then when I went to Hinkle, my entire staff was men as well. And it didn't go that great at first. I was really, really, really lucky to have owners that were like, y'all deal with it. Like, we don't care if she's five foot three and we don't care if she talks with a Northern accent and we don't care if she tells you what to do, you'll do it. So I at least had the support of a really good owner, but it was rough yes. and it still is rough. And I, the feminist in me really wants to be like, break the barriers, break the glass ceiling. It'll all be fine if we're just tough enough and fight hard enough. The realist in me at the nearing 40 really, really, really understands that we need more men like Tom Hinkle, like Drew Nardiello, like Jorge Colon, who say, listen, she's, she's busting her butt and she's working as hard as any of the guys, but we also have to take the assist and promote other young women like her and give them that support because it, it's not going to come from one end or the other. Like we really have to meet in the middle somewhere. And, and on the flip side of that, we need more young women that have gumption. Yes. That are tough males that don't burst into tears every five seconds that are willing to work for $8 an hour knowing that if they just suck it up, they'll eventually get there. And on the flip side, we need men to actually help them get there yeah. because it's got to go from both angles. And, and I see it from both sides. Now we can't just hire women to hire women. We have yes. to produce young, strong, smart, savvy women with gumption. Yes. And then we have to support those women up the ranks. I couldn't agree more. And it reminds me, if I'm not mistaken, you and I were, were moving around the same equine yep. community in central Kentucky, but we really didn't know one another until a very important connection said, you two are like the same person in different <laughs> ways and you need to meet. So shout out to our friend Sandy, who I know is listening. <laughs> And yeah. she said, if you all have not met, you have to meet. And yes. I, and we both like had heard one another's names and we have so many of the same friends and colleagues in common. So that was your contact from Chesapeake Farm. And then my friend from Paris, that this is just, I always love to tell those stories because it's representative of my theme of community, growing yes. an intentional community of people, because that is how this journey works. So just, yep. just wanted I to say. I always tell people that, especially Lexington, Kentucky, but the horse industry in general 
is so small. Yes. And so you have to have your best foot forward at all times. And your face is your business card. I tell all of the students that I teach at the university level, I try to get them set up to go work the sales. And if I'm walking through the Keenlander phase of Tipton sales ground and I see one of them sitting on a bucket while somebody else is raking the aisle way, I'm going to remember that for forever. And that young woman will never be hired by me. Like it's just, it's right. so strange how it can be the smallest thing that resonates with you for forever. This town, this world, and it goes to the international level. Like I have met people at horse shows, at conferences, all the way as far as Australia and Germany, that it's a friend of a friend of a friend that knows me or knows them. So like you're constantly having to just put your best foot forward and make that good lasting impression. And like with your case with Sandy, Sandy was our office manager and she was a fierce woman, is a fierce woman in her own right. But I left a lasting impression on her that yes. has lasted for decades. And it was the same with you and all it. And you know, if I had needed a job in an industry outside of that world, you probably would have been the first person she would have called and been like, hey, can you hook this yes. young 24 year old up instead yes. of me going and continuing on in the breeding world? So it's just so important that like you mind your P's and Q's and you always try to be the best representation of yourself. Absolutely. And as I was thinking about our interactions and how I describe Dr. Carly Fedorka, industry advocate, but I also, I gave you, I'm not sure if anyone has called you this before, and it probably came to me at 3 a.m. or one of those overnight. <laughs> I decided that you are a horse passionista. <laughs> I'm just like, that's total Carly. Like, I love that. And so, but you bring up also your passion for students. And mm -hmm. so we have, we feel similarly there where our job to support and our opportunity to support the student to professional transition, and especially young people early on in their career, you are an educator, a teacher, you are a student of the horse, but you're a student of students as well. And so let's talk about how much you pour into your students. I think you have multiple segments. You not only lead at a classroom level, but you lead as a farm owner and yeah. really create experiences for students that strengthen them. I um yeah, so just to go back into how I got into teaching, I we had a mare abort at one of the farms that I was managing and it really struck an interest in me because none of the veterinarians could answer any of the questions I asked them about this type of abortion. Her abortion was caused by a disease called nocardiform placentitis. And this was 2011, and it's now 2023, and we still don't know much about this disease. But we are really blessed in Lexington, Kentucky, with having a university that supports equine research and equine studies. And so as I was asking questions, everybody just kept telling me to go to the Gluck Equine Research Center and ask the real scientists those questions. And I always joke that I, I went into the office of Dr. Mott Strodson as a concerned farm manager, and I somehow exited enrolled as his master's student. <laughs> he just took a really strong liking to me, and he was very confused as to how this young woman who had this massive science background from a very good college was now managing a thoroughbred farm, but somehow was asking him questions about genetics and different environmental causes and the epigenetics of it. And he was like, I need you as my student. And I was like, you... I'm doing fine. I have a pretty sweet gig. I make good money. They gave me a free truck. I have a house. And he was like, please come and do this. So I started as a master's student. I quickly switched to being a PhD student. I got my doctorate in 2017. And I had, did a postdoctoral studies or fellowship until just recently. I'm now in a little bit of a hiatus before I go to Colorado <laughs> State, where I have been hired as faculty. But yeah, I always loved this idea that by being in academia, I could do what these people did for me. Like the amount of education I got from the veterinarians, Jorge Colon and Karen Wolfsdorf, being a farm manager with them was insurmountable. Like it, they taught me so much, but also just the general hands-on education that I got by 
from the most hillbilly of guy that had been on the farm, had never even finished a high school education, to the immigrant that didn't speak English. They taught me so much horsemanship that I thought I'd had as a 4-H'er, pony clubber. You know, you yeah. get on your high horse of I know everything. And it wasn't until I started working on these farms that I realized, oh, I actually know nothing. And these people are so much more advanced than I am, even though I have the diploma. And so that has really paved a way into how I have taught and hope to teach in that in the equine industry and in agriculture in general, classrooms help. I do think that we can teach a primary and secondary education through PowerPoints. I do not disagree with that. But you only can learn so much behind a desk. And we have to get out into the woods and really learn it hands-on. So I've been really lucky the last couple of years, I opened my own farm in 2020, and we have now brought in and churned out probably, I don't know, eight or nine young women, we've only had women, who have come to the farm to work as my stall cleaners. And that is literally what the job description starts as. So there, I feed, I do all the morning chores, they do all the afternoon chores. So their job is to clean stalls, set back bedding, feed, et cetera, bring in horses. And it's been really fun to watch these young women get to earn their stripes doing that for a few weeks. And then I quickly start the gauntlet of what I learned at Chesapeake. So how to assess a lameness, how to work up a lameness, what therapeutic options we have to us, how to deal with marketing of horses, how to deal with client relationships, how to deal with billing and invoicing and all of these little things that 20 year old Carly didn't know. So things that I'm hoping give them the next step up into the real industry. I'm looking at it from, I'm an insider, but a little bit of somebody who wasn't always an insider and yes. saw my own struggle bus and what nobody taught me and that was also what nobody taught me at 23, but also what nobody taught me at 35 when I opened my farm. And how can we change our curriculums, both within a university setting, but also in internships that we're actually giving these students usable skills? I don't care if you can list every vertebrae in the horse's neck. I do care if you can tell me that you think that this horse looks like they're in pain and what are our next steps and next options. So as much as I do think anatomy and physiology and diseases are so important, we need to start at a little bit more of a ground level. They need to yes. first be able to lead the horse into the stall and take off its halter. Agreed. Agreed. We talk so much more about that when we have young people who come to us and how I could fill a swimming pool full of young women who want to do what we are doing. Can I ride with you? Can I work with you? How do I do what you're doing? And yeah. I love horses. Okay, that's good that you love horses, but we're going to need a little more than that. And that's where we need your gumption. And those horse handling skills, I do believe, are such a foundation, right? It, it just really is something that we are, are losing a little in the translation somewhere. And I agree wholeheartedly, we need to reconnect. Well, you know what's so funny is we tend to be a very snobby, elitist type of business. And one of the first things that I really realized when I was working in the thoroughbred industry was I already knew how to show a horse. And the funny thing about me knowing how to show a horse, it had nothing to do with my college degree. It had nothing to do with my ability to ride a horse. It had a lot to do with the fact that I did 4-H between the ages of 8 and 18 in the Western disciplines, and we were forced to do showmanship. Yeah. And it was so funny to me looking in hindsight, because even at the sales grounds now, when I was 10 and learning how to stand up a horse, now granted in Western it's square and thoroughbreds it's not, there's differences. But I was always taught in showmanship when I was a baby that like you always stood on the same side of the horse as the judge. And as the judge moved around, you repositioned your body, but it was always taught to me in like a showmanship way, you know, to show off the best side of the horse. Well, the minute I moved to Lexington, Kentucky and started handling foals and yearlings with veterinarians, 
I was found myself repositioning my body on the same side as the veterinarian. And they were so grateful because that is like general safety, right? So it's more so you need to be on the same side as the veterinarian so that if the horse loses its mind, we all get out of the way. And at the sales, it's the same thing. I'm on the same side as the buyer because if the yearling loses its mind, I can get the horse out of the way and keep the buyer safe. But it was funny to me when that dawned on me, I was like, oh, wow, I learned this skill in the backwoods of Crawford County Fairground at the age of eight. But it's that type of stuff that like this next generation really needs to kind of take inward. If you don't, if you didn't have that background, you need to get it somewhere, right? So if you didn't do 4-H, you didn't do Pony Club, you weren't in a good lesson program, we need to educate you now. But on the flip side, if you are listening to this and you're 13, 14, 15 years old, listen to your 4-H leader. Listen to your Pony Club leader. What they are telling you actually does have a purpose that could impact you for the rest of your life. And those little things like keeping a vet safe while doing vet work in a stall with a yearling mm-hmm. will be things that get you looked at differently than your peers. Yeah. Yes. And that's what's going to get you promoted really quickly. Yep. Keep veterinarian, farrier, whatever that is. Yes. Basic horse handling and horsemanship. Absolutely. And I will also say that if you're 20 something years old and listening to this, and that's an aha moment for you that you probably could use some development of skills, don't be embarrassed that you don't have them. Just be willing to be a an enthusiastic lifelong student and learn those things. And you would be amazed at how many facilities there are like mine, where we have 26 stalls and a pretty active sales barn. Go one day a week, find an afternoon that you can like, even whether it's paid or unpaid, but there are people like me that are doing enough stuff with horses because we do a lot of rehab as well so it's sales and rehab which means there is a vet on this farm about three days a week there's a farrier here every week there's a chiropractor here every week and if you just learn via osmosis of what we're doing ask the questions find somebody who really wants to educate i don't care if you're in your 40s if you're here to be educated which leads me to another huge belief i have you will get so much farther in this industry by just admitting where your skills are and where your skills aren't. And I always tell people that one of my favorite interns of my entire research career was a girl that came to interview, admitted she had no stallion handling experience, no mare experience, had never ultrasounded anything, but she was like, but you know what? I'm always on time. I live my life via color coordinated highlighter and I'm always smiling. And I was like, I don't believe any of that, but let's try this. And guess what? She's still one of my best friends. She's always on time. She literally lives her life as organized as possible. And I had the stallion handling skills and the mare skills to teach her. And I needed somebody just to help keep me safe, keep me on time, keep me organized. And she ended up graduating from UK and going on to be a foreman at one of the largest warm blood breeding operations in America. Because she gained those skills in two years just by admitting she didn't have them. Like we just taught her as a clean slate on, and that can get you as far, if not farther than somebody with a little bit of ego. Yes. We hire character and train skills. That's one of my favorite things to say. I, whenever I interviewed for the role at Zoetis, I did not come from a pharmaceutical background and I was perfectly upfront about that. I brought it up in the interview and said, I gave them the opportunity to voice that concern and We've laughed about it a lot since then, but it was my enthusiasm and my work ethic and the fact that I made it very clear that I was fully aware of that hurdle that needed to be overcome, but I was bringing the right character into the role in order to learn and succeed. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. And I told, I have to laugh now when I told Dr. Cologne that I got the faculty position at Colorado State, his response was, I just have to laugh because you went from the most clueless 
young woman <laughs> at the age of 22 holding mayor's heads while he palpated an ultrasound and treated to only 15 years later. It sounds like it feels like a lifetime, right? But 15 right. years later, getting one of the best, if not the best equine repro faculty lines in the country, if not the world. Absolutely. So like, it doesn't take much. It just took me being very honest about what I didn't know. And then honestly, like he quizzed me. He, I'll never forget. I asked him a dumb question because there are dumb questions. And he, instead of answering it, he was like, I want you to go home tonight. And I want you to literally Google equine herpes virus. And I want you to come back and be ready for me to quiz you on it. And I was like, okay. And I went home and I studied it. And I came back and he quizzed me on it. And that was how I learned. Like he, they, yes. it wasn't quote unquote nice. Like right. there was no kid gloves. <laughs> it was right. a lot of, no, that was a dumb question. Let's talk about this tomorrow. So be ready for those hard conversations too. Yes. Oh, I love that. And in those moments, to your point, it's keep swimming, keep yeah. pursuing if it is something that you have interest in, it is not ever going to be easy. And that oftentimes comes back to me and we do not gain confidence without being courageous. Yeah. So confidence is only built through putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations and being courageous enough to pursue things that we don't know how to do. And I think that that's such a good point too. My husband, who's a farm manager, he and I talk a lot about how there's like different ways you can look at our job. So first and foremost, there is a little bit of you either have it or you don't. And that's kind of going back to the fact that we need to broaden these students' minds as, as to what the career opportunities are for them. Because yes. if you do not do well under stress or under pressure, then being a veterinarian or a farm manager is probably not the right way to go for you. And we can, like you said, we can train a little bit of that because with experience comes exposure to different things. And with that exposure, I hope you would be confident to handle it a second time. Right. But some people just freeze. So maybe that's not 100% the route for you. But with that being said, a lot of it is trial by fire. You have to experience things, see how the world assesses it, see how you yourself assess it, and also get these like life skills from good veterinarians, good farm managers, the people that you surround yourself with to see how they assess it. So to be able to like watch somebody like Jorge Colon or Karen Wolfsdorf's mind work of, yeah. okay, I've been presented with this emergency case. I'm going to do heart rate, temp, respiratory rate. I'm then going to listen for gut sounds. I'm then going to listen to its lungs. I'm then going to ask what it was fed, had it nursed, et cetera, et cetera. So you start to learn the important next steps and how to triage something. And you can be taught that. And if you yeah. gain confidence with that education, then maybe you are somebody <laughs> that can go into those disciplines. But if you just freeze and feel the need to Google, it might not be for you. And that's not a problem because there are so many things we can do in this business. Yes. We can find something for everybody. Yes. Well, and that brings me to a question I love to ask of everyone. You know, you in particular are thriving in this industry, Carly. And one of my recent episodes was the term work-life balance and why I believe that it's killing our souls and a ridiculous conflict of two terms. So, but what you're talking about truly is some of that decision. What am I good at and what do I want to do? Because if yep. we are asking ourselves the right questions, then I believe we don't have to ask ourselves if we have work-life balance. I think it becomes a moot point. And we create this life that our role, our career job is a part of. And it is, you know, my little acronym of living inspired, fulfilled and empowered. We can ditch the term work-life balance, but yep. you, I look at you, you are an edge, you're a PhD educator. You are a farm owner. You are a trainer. You are a wife. You are a dog mom. You are a student and a teacher and a blogger, all the things. And so give us a little bit of insight into your opinion around kind of oh. creating this life. 
That's a really hard question for a myriad of reasons. One being part of the impetus of me going back to school and getting my PhD was because my now husband and I very quickly realized that we both can't be farm managers on different farms. Just by the very root of it, to be a farm manager, 95% of the time means you have to live on that property to be available to deliver foals, be there for emergencies, et cetera. So we were living on two different farms. And that at its crux was incredibly hard. The other thing we realized was that as a farm manager, your life is devoted to that farm and those mares and foals and yearlings. And I'll be honest, I loved it. I thrived on being a farm manager. I didn't mind the 7 p.m. turnout times. I didn't mind foaling the mares. What I quickly realized I did mind was that I was doing a lot of work with horses that I had no ownership or control over. And that grew more and more tiresome. I really missed being able to ride my own horses. I really missed being able to compete my own horses. I missed being able to go on a Saturday for a trail ride in East Work, Tennessee with my girlfriends. And because I was devoting my entire life to somebody else's horses, all of those things got negated a good bit. So part of the reason I went back to get my doctorate was because of the work-life balance that that would allow me. And that's honestly been a huge impetus for why I've stayed in academia, because academia is this beautiful little, at least for what I do, it's this beautiful little, I don't know, middle ground, I have told people where, for the most part, I get to pretend to be a veterinarian. Uh, we have a massive research herd at UK. We'll have a research herd at CSU. I design experiments. I execute the experiments. I am ultrasounding mares, doing surgeries on mares, doing hysteroscopies on mares. All of the things that I would be able to do as a DVM. The difference being there's no client. I obviously can't set a perfect schedule because mares do what mares do. They don't always cycle when you want them to. You can't always breed them when you want them to. They don't always deliver their babies when you want them to. But for the most part, I can say, okay, we're starting the study in April because I want to and the mares are cycling and I'm going to get it done by June 1st. And then I'll be in the lab from June to September, et cetera, et cetera. So you have some control over the universe which makes it a little bit more doable to say, right. you know what, I'm going to scan all, I'm a morning person. So I'm going to scan all of my mares at 7am. I'll be done with that work by 2pm. I'm going to go ride my horses. I didn't have that option as a farm manager. Cause again, the manager is not the owner. So I couldn't set my own schedule. The other beauty of academia is that Yes, there's emergencies with these horses, but again, they're research animals. So the emergency isn't, we're going to the clinic, everybody, there's chaos. It's very much like, okay, we're going to give it banamine, we're going to monitor, et cetera. And there's a farm crew that does a lot of that mm -hmm. for you. So right. that's been a huge perk for me because I quickly realized that, like you said, I love horses. I love horses, but I also like my own horses. Like mm -hmm. for me, and again, why I'm getting a little bit out of the training side of it, horses for me have always been therapy. It is, I see these TikToks and they're so relevant to me where my brain is just until the minute I get on a horse and I can't pick up my cell phone. I can't scroll through Facebook. I can't respond to an email. And it's almost like the trickier the horse the better my brain is because I'm so in tune with the horse and I'm so focused on the horse that everything else disappears. And that's always been me. It's my entire life. So I need that in my life to actually escape a little bit of realism. And that was very hard as a farm manager. I think that's also very hard as a veterinarian, which is why I'm in hindsight, very grateful that I didn't go into a million dollars of debt before finding that out. Whereas in academia, I really can say, okay, this is my schedule. I'm setting it. I'm going to go give myself that hour every right. day and let it go numb for a second. And, yes. and that goes back to figuring out what works for you. Because my husband exactly. doesn't like riding horses. So for him, <laughs> dealing with other people's horses doesn't bother him that much. He's an amazing horseman. He's one yes. of the best polling people I've ever met in my entire life, 
but he doesn't want to ride a horse. So doing the, the broodmare yearling foal aspect of it keeps him very content. Yes. And that is just it. That's exactly what I was thinking as you tell that story so eloquently is it is all about each of us learning throughout the journey. It is it is not a destination we are trying to get to. It is actually the every day. It is yeah. the the day to day continued journey towards the clarity of who we are and yep. what we're good at and what we want to do, what we want our lives to look like. and. Yep. That comes tell, by, by doing, it comes by keep on swimming, right? Yes, keep on swimming. I tell my students and the girls that work for me and all of the, I'm surrounded by hip, young 22 year olds. <laughs> you're going to go through some really hard, hard times in your life. And just looking back in hindsight at my entire horsey experience, not a single one of them would I give up not just because of like the cliche of like, it's made me who I am, but I always joke with people. Like I took, I quit eventing out of high school because I was so burnt out. I had chased the rat race of moving up the levels. And I was just, it was so excruciating for me that at the age of 18, I was like, I'm done. And I went and I worked as a wrangler at a ranch in Wyoming for summers between college. And that job really, really, really strengthened me. It really toughened me up. But more than any of that, it gave me an experience that I can now talk the talk with a discipline or with a group of people that are completely different than this little bubble of eventing or thoroughbred racing. Yes. So that's such a unique experience. 4-H is a unique experience. Pony Club is a unique experience. And it's crazy to me how now as I'm pushing 40 and I'm going to devote my life to research, I now understand the Western culture. I understand I could go to Quarter Horse Congress and fit in. I can go down to Fort Worth and fit in. I can go meet donors and get fundraising done from those people because of this weird little niche experience that... I didn't breed a mare. I didn't foal a mare. I didn't study a mare and foal. It had nothing to do with what I'm actually doing, but it does because yes. I understand the discipline, the people, the tack, the horses within it. And so just even thinking not to get yourself so pigeonholed, right. go experience different things. Yes. Be versatile, meet people, yes. grow your network, grow your community. Yes and just keep swimming. Exactly. <laughs> you and I, I know, could talk for days and days about, yeah, all, those. Right? <laughs> about all of these things, but I do want our audience to know where can they follow you and your story? You share so beautifully on social media and beyond, and I know that our audience will want to touch base with you. I, of course, I'm a huge LinkedIn person for especially the student to professional transition, but I want them to be able to find you and Sue Wickley Stables also. Yeah, so I'm pretty bad about this. I should actually be better for as much marketing as I do. Uh, the farm definitely has a Facebook page. It's Swickley, S-E-W-I-C-K-L-E-Y, Stables. Um, and that's really all of our sales horses and the goings on on the farm. I also have a pretty active Instagram, which is a Yankee in Paris, which I thought was the funniest thing in the world when I was living in Paris, Kentucky. But honestly... Once I get set up at Colorado State, easily come find my lab. We'll have a website. We will be actively taking on undergraduate interns. We'll be actively taking on master's and PhD students. And anyone that is considering any career trajectory that includes equine science or any graduate studies involving the horse, would love to hear from you. We will hopefully have a really, really good group. There's quite a few new faculty starting out there at the same time that are all really in it for the horse. So we're going to keep CSU as the number one equine science program in the country. 
I love it. I am so excited for you. I think this was just so timely and you are a force, Carly, and I want you to know how grateful I am for you to share and be so willing to come on early on to the thriving equine professional as we try to continue to just pour into our young people who have an interest in this industry and to grow this community so that they know that they have advocates like you and me out here to lend a hand and offer some advice and a few funny stories about where our failures have been over the years. But thank you so much for sharing and for all that you do as an advocate for our industry. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'll, I'll leave with this. I always tell the girls, there's no crying in the barn. You're more than welcome to drive your truck away to the hay shed, cry for a bit, slap some cold water on your face and get back in the barn. And that's the only way we all survive in this business. So uh, that is solid advice, solid <laughs> advice. So the just keep swimming and no crying in the barn. No crying in the barn. There's no crying in baseball or, or horses or horses. There we go. I, I love that. So my friends, thank you for sticking with us today. Make sure if you are not caught up on all of the episodes of The Thriving Equine Professional, please go back and get caught up. We've got some great guests coming up. So stay tuned and make sure that you are subscribed. You can connect with The Thriving Equine Professional and me, Jody Lynch-Findley, on LinkedIn and you can visit my website at Jody Speaks Life. It's J-O-D-I SpeaksLife.com. And please be sure to reach out and don't forget to celebrate life. Have an awesome day. Friend, I hope this episode inspired and empowered you to keep growing. If so, first, I want you to go share it with a friend. Second, I would be so grateful if you would pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review so I know you're here. And finally, come join me in our private LinkedIn group, The Thriving Equine Professional, as we build this community of equine leaders.